Hey, everybody. Welcome to the second all-star episode of High Heels and Heartache. I'm your host, Kendall Ann Combs. Um, This is a great episode. I have two fan favorites, Dr. Amelia Kelly and Dr. Stephanie Moulton-Sarkis. You probably remember them from the previous episodes that they've been on. Um, Dr. Kelly is going to walk us through how All of this anxiety and fear from being in self-isolation or quarantine or stay at home or whatever your state or country is calling it, um, how that anxiety and fear might be um, showing in our bodies. And Dr. Sarkis is going to walk us through um, how sometimes um, we can be gaslit by our politicians and leaders and what to look for to find the truth. Um, in these kind of crazy times. So, first off, Dr. Kelly. All right. On the line with me, I have Dr. Amelia Kelly. Hi, Dr. Kelly. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good over here. (laughs) (laughs) It's a strange time. Considering I'm, I'm great because I'm loving the extra communication I'm getting to have with everyone recently. Oh, that's good. That, but sometimes that could be a bad thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's nice to talk to you. Oh, it's always nice to talk to you. All right. So here, the, a question that I got, I have for you, and this is, it, I had this question in a couple different ways come in. So I'm just going to read this one, and then you can kind of talk around it as well. So your question is, I'm so anxious that I'm paralyzed. My stomach is in knots and the impending dread is consuming me. How can I work through this? Okay. So there's two different pieces of that question that I'm hearing. One of that is the freeze response. So that paralyzation, which we can talk about, um, The other is the nausea or the being sick to your stomach. Um, So I'm going to start with that only because I think that's such a universal experience that we have when we're anxious that is not always understood. Um, And it really starts as early as children who get belly aches when they feel anxious about going to school. Uh, Yeah. I I don't know if you thought about that before. No, I haven't. Yeah. A lot of uh, parents will talk about, and this can be as young as, you know, preschool age, uh, kindergarten, where the kid will feign sick, Um, you know, and they say, they say their stomach hurts, but they don't have a fever. And what parents and teachers don't always understand is that that's actually the first signs of anxiety in a child. Oh, so they might, they're not making up that they have a stomach ache because they're anxious to go to school. They actually have a stomach ache because they are anxious about going to school. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. okay. And, our, and our stomachs are such a present part of our body that are so communicative that it's a very easy thing for even a young child to pick up on. So the thing about anxiety is that, you know, it is a natural response to danger or threat and in our world right now with everything going on with COVID and just, it's not even just the virus itself, but it's the uncertainty and all of the unknowns as far as people's livelihood, what's going to come next week, even what's going to come in an hour. We don't even know. 
Um, and so humans, we really do thrive off of the known at times. And with all of this unknown, our brain is going to read this as a threat. And so it's going to start to release neurotransmitters to prepare our bodies for fight flight. But some of these neurotransmitters actually get into our digestive tract. Huh? Mm-hmm. And actually a good portion of, uh, there's a neurotransmitter that a lot of medications like depression medications address, which is serotonin. It's a pretty widely known neurotransmitter. Almost all of the serotonin in our body is actually made in our gut. And not your brain? No, not your brain. Mm-mm. It, it travels from your gut to your brain. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty wild. Um, and that's why... You know, there's, I think it was Hippocrates or someone who said food is medicine, medicine is food. And that's why what we ingest has a big impact on mood. Um, It's one of the first things I explore with clients sometimes is, you know, what are we putting into our body because it's going to affect the outcomes of therapy. And so if your gut microbiome, that's the word to kind of describe the environment of your gut, is altered due to chronic stress, it's going to cause things like upset stomach, nausea, loss of appetite. And so treating the gut similarly to how you would if you were sick in the same situation, if you're anxious can be really helpful. So it's, it's not new or it's not different that many people as they're going through this this very anxious time that has, I mean, it's been going on for weeks now and we don't know right. when it's going to end. So because of, it's been pretty, would chronic be the right word for it at this point since it's been going on for a while? It's becoming so. Um, the interesting thing is that, um, you know, if, if there's going to be something acute happening, we as humans, we, we rally, we, we get together, we circle in and we try to fix, understand and address situations as they arise. But right now, because of the fact that it's kind of like when you drive somewhere you've never been before, you know how it feels like it takes forever? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a similar thought process when we don't know the end result. Um, there are some studies that came out of a uh, university up in New York about um, how we perceive whether something is difficult or easy. And what they found was that when they had people keep their eye on the prize, keep their eye on the finish line, literal finish line, because they had folks do this weighted vest exercise and they would perceive how difficult or how easy the um, exercise routine was. And they found that those folks that they told them to literally uh, visualize and fixate on the finish line at the end perceived it to be easier and outperformed those folks who were told to just kind of look around without any focus on the finish line. And so we as a society are running a race with no finish line right now. Yeah. You so know, that's definitely going to increase the anxiety there because we don't know when life is going to go back to normal if it ever will. Well, and that's what it feels like. It feels like it, it could be never. Um, I assure you, I'm assuring myself and I'm assuring the listeners that it will end. 
Um, but we don't know what that ending looks like. And it's going to end in phases. It's not going to be an overnight. Um, and by no means am I projecting that I'm a scientist who knows when there's going to be a solution, but, um, you know, this is, this happened so quickly and, and, and acutely, like we were talking about when something happens traumatically all at once, but the way that it's going to wean off is going to be more what a chronic recovery would look like where, maybe you're getting out of an abusive relationship and um, you finally feel safe physically, but maybe not mentally, or you, you know, you finally start to establish good relationships and friendships, but there's still triggers for you out in the world. So it's little things are going to start to fall into place and feel better for us, but it's not going to be all at once. And that's really hard. Yeah. And that's, what's kind of, attributing to people feeling physically sick because of their anxiety. Right. And so with that being said, there's definitely some suggestions of what people can do okay. um, specifically to that uh, listener's question. So as I was mentioning, treating the gut the way you would if you were sick, um, much like if you have anxiety. So making sure that you are eating satiable, palatable meals and snacks regularly, not letting your blood sugar get too low, staying hydrated. And I know when you're incredibly anxious, it can be hard to imagine eating for some people. And the the worst thing you can do is to let your stomach get too empty because it's going to fill with acid and it's going to be even more difficult to eat. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. So, and, and on the flip side, you've got other folks who I think it was Jimmy Kimmel or someone on his, his stay at home show right now joked that he's gained eight pounds in a week or something. (laughs) Um, so you've got people on the flip side who are emotionally eating and potentially filling their gut with foods that are highly processed and are creating an unhealthy microbiome on the other end. Okay. I have to admit something to you. What's that? (laughs) Two Fridays ago, I was really stressed out about everything. And Mm -hmm. for breakfast, I had a hot dog and a pop tart. (laughs) I'm mad at you. (laughs) So I think that I'm on the the creating a bad environment in my stomach because of the processed food. I think that's where I am on that spectrum. And that certainly can happen. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, attribute long-term anxious feelings to one bad meal, but um, I always kind of joke with my clients about if you're going to give up some sort of thing, whether it be sugar or high processed foods, if you dabble once and you dip your toe off the wagon for one meal, you're probably okay. But if that turns into a weekend, you're headed in the wrong direction. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So it's probably kind of a vicious cycle because like you said, that serotonin is made in our stomachs. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the the cause of maybe feeling sick and because of the anxiety, but then also we might be contributing to that by making bad food choices, whether it's in the hot dog and pop tart breakfast Mm -hmm. or the no breakfast. Right. Exactly. And the other thing too, is that too many folks are taking the, and not to minimize the importance of staying at home. And it doesn't, it doesn't work for everyone. What I'm about to say does not work for people who live in a highly dense population who don't have a backyard or who don't have access to a greenway. 
So I'm fully aware that what I'm going to say won't work for everyone. But if you're taking the stay at home hashtag so literally that you're never leaving the house, on the flip side, you're also affecting the way that your body processes nutrients because you're not getting in the sun. You're not getting vitamin D. There's actually, there was a study on the uh, influenza epidemic in the early 1900s where the folks who were in the uh, medical wards and the medical tents who were housed outside of the tents actually had a higher recovery rate. Huh. So if we're not trying to get out of the house on a daily basis, if it's a possibility, then our immune systems are going to be compromised, which is going to further affect the way we handle stress and anxiety. Okay. <clears throat> so that that's kind of speaking to maybe why we have a stomach ache because our anxiety. Are there any other physical symptoms of anxiety that, that you see a lot that maybe people are feeling now that maybe they haven't attribute, attributed yet to the anxiety that they're feeling? Definitely. Um, so if we think about that uh, natural fight-flight response, the, the different fight responses as- associated with anxiety could be tense muscles, uh, lock jaw, tension in the jaw, um, maybe headaches, uh, backaches, basically just kind of like what it feels like to walk around ready to go all the time. But when you're incredibly hypervigilant chronically, it's going to create some pain. Um, in addition to that, insomnia is something a lot of people are struggling with right now, especially because routines are getting thrown off. Mm-hmm. And so trying to have some semblance of a routine is incredibly healthy and helpful right now for sleep, which then affects chronic pain and inflammation, which affects the way that our body responds to stress and anxiety. But I want to be really clear, something I don't want someone to take away from this conversation is that they need to go write the next great American novel while they're dealing with a worldwide pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay to not feel highly productive. It's okay to not feel okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But just like we would do if we were sick or if someone we loved was struggling, we would encourage them to have some sort of routine of a new normal, at least for this time period. So when we're talking about anxiety and our, and our bodies, Mm -hmm. sleep is important. Eating right is important Mm -hmm. and not, and understanding that you don't have to do it all is also important just for our, I mean, of course, for our mental stability, but also so our physically we feel okay. We need to be kind to ourselves mentally. Absolutely. This is, my hope is that people walk out of this uh, with more self-compassion for themselves and less critical self-talk. That's something that I've seen with so many of my clients leading up to this pandemic is a consistent barrage of I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm bad at this. I'm bad at that. And so, and I'm not talking about, you know, accomplishments and success oriented things. I'm talking about internal dialogue and we're kind of all in this together right now. We're not kind of, we are all in this together right now. And 
everyone is having to kind of rewire the way that they talk to themselves because we're spending a lot of time with ourselves right now. <laughs> yes, we all are. <laughs> okay, so that's that's really helpful because I think that that's lots of people don't really acknowledge that the way that they're talking to themselves and the stress that they're putting on themselves might be manifesting itself physically along with the anxiety in the not being able to sleep and having stomach aches and feeling so tense in your body. Right. And the other side of that too, because we're kind of dabbling into the, the more mental aspect of this piece is that there are some very tangible things you can do for panic and for anxiety as well, physically that could be integrated into your day. You know, we're talking about having a a compassionate self-schedule instead of a goal-oriented self-schedule. And and granted, some people have a lot on their plate right now because they're homeschooling, they're working, they're childcare, they're trying not to divorce their spouse. Um, (laughs) So there's a lot happening at once. But things that um, that help regulate your vagus nerve, which is the nerve at the top of the spine, base of the skull, that helps to establish whether you are in a safe environment. Uh, and called your vagus nerve. Your vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. Like Las yeah. Vegas. I'm sorry. What? Like Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> like polyvagal. Um, oh. <laughs> Doctor Porges is a pioneer in research on the vagus nerve. It, it used to be thought that um, suppression of the nerve would make individuals pass out, and it is true. But what they found that just enough, they, they call it vagal break on the nerve, helps to establish a sense of safety, calm, relaxation. The vagus nerve gets really disrupted um, in folks who have experienced trauma. So things that can be done to help regulate the vagus nerve during this time where your body might be feeling keyed up for no reason, because technically you might just have to walk across the kitchen and make some coffee, but in your in in your internal world, the whole entire universe is crashing down on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that are simple are singing deep rhythmic breathing, uh, physical activity, mantras, chanting, um, anything that helps vibrate your throat actually massages that vagus nerve. Really? Yeah. And so wouldn't it kind of make sense too, that talking goes along with that and being able to, you know, get on different apps like, um, house party or zoom or, you know, Skype or whatever works for people, like just getting to talk but the thing of it is, is that seeing people's face, facial expressions and vocal tone both help regulate the nerves. So it's really neat when you can physically look at someone you love as well, even if it's through a screen. Wow. Mm-hmm. So just by like having a, a, a Zoom chat or FaceTime with someone, you're helping to regulate that nerve because you're actually the, the physically just speaking, the vibration in your throat is helping to regulate seeing the face of the person that you love and hearing the tone of their voice is helping you regulate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. As long as these are safe people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, obviously. yeah. And as long as you're staying in a safe space too, I have to work with folks a lot on breath and 
finding a rhythm, whether it be taking a breath in between thoughts or slowing down, those things send different signals to your body. And you can tell when I'm talking to you that I'm, you know, I'm doing it in a rhythmic way. And that's in a way to make sure that I stay nice and calm while I talk to you on this live recording. And I do not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but, you, but you, you can edit. I can't. <laughs> True. <laughs> okay. So I, I feel, I feel comfortable with that. I feel like we've, we're, we've dove into kind of the physical manifestations of anxiety and, and how to, to help that. Mm-hmm. But I got another question from a listener that kind of adds on this. Okay. Um, and the person was saying, I am a trauma survivor and I'm having strong PTSD symptoms because of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Any advice? Okay. So, and I love that that person that posed that question just said trauma survivor in general, because that gives respect to what this whole situation could be doing to folks who have PTSD because it doesn't matter if it's trauma from a medical issue, if it's trauma from spousal abuse, from war, from natural disaster, if your body is already trained to be hypersensitive to the unknown and to trauma, you're going to be much more impacted by what's happening right now. So that's, that's great the way that that question was posed. So peop- So for some people, this sort of living with this anxiety and fear and all of that. It's new to some people. Mm -hmm. And for other people who have experienced, like you said, trauma of, of different kinds, this is not new. Right. Well, and because of that, you know, you can kind of look back to the episode you and I had done about repeat traumatization Mm -hmm. and how when the body is already used to responding in a certain way to trauma in situations. It might potentially go straight back to that type of reactivity in the acute response to COVID-19. And I've seen that in myself Mm -hmm. um, because what, what I've done is when I get faced with this anxiety and I don't feel sick to my stomach when I'm really anxious, but I feel, um, I feel the feeling of anxiety in my stomach. Yes. And the way that I tend to cope with that is to throw myself into something um, and overachieve. So I definitely have felt that falling on that kind of bad habit in in this um, time because that's my trauma reaction just tells me like, fix it. Just grab onto something you can control and fix it that way. So... What you're talking about as far as what you're noticing with your trauma response to COVID-19 is to get really active and productive is if you look at Pete Walker's uh, four F types of fight, flight, fawn, and freeze, he's really interesting. If you've not read his book, um, I would highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about is actually the flight response. And so it's, <clears throat> you know, you maybe couldn't fight or freeze from a past abusive situation that you had experienced, but when you flighted from that, it worked better for you. And so, and this is me speculating based on what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so flight 
actually looks, it doesn't look like someone literally running away. It looks like someone engaging in anxious productivity. It could be filling up your time with accomplishments and doing things and moving left and right and just trying to engage in enough to busy your mind. Huh. Mm-hmm. So, so that so that's I guess like the first thing we have to do if if we know that we we do struggle with trauma and we feel like we're having a trauma response is to number one maybe kind of just acknowledge like okay, I'm back in my trauma response. Yes. And it's technically called an emotional flashback where you fall into one of those trauma responses and learning how to regulate an emotional flashback can be really helpful. So to go back to that listener's question about, you know, I feel like this COVID-19 situation is bringing up my PTSD symptoms. That makes perfect sense. And so some of the beginning stages of pulling out of an emotional flashback is first knowing you're in one. Secondly, engaging in some grounding skills, you know, like the things that we talked about that actually help with the anxious gut. Um, You can't breathe in the future or the past. You can only breathe right now. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So, you know, taking that deep, deep breath right now. And reminding yourself, and I've even had to remind myself this too sometimes, nothing is actually happening. I'm sitting in a room. I'm chatting with you. Nothing is actually happening to me in this moment. Mm-hmm. And that can be really hard to convince ourselves of when every aspect of media and all these stimulatory things that we have around us are just bombarding us with information. Mm-hmm. And so the same way I would try to tell a trauma client to be very gentle with what they watch and what they view, for instance, you know, a rape victim might want to stay away from CSI or, you know, a couple different highly triggering shows until they feel like they've exposed themselves enough and they've gotten to a place where they want to be engaging and watching those things. Maybe it's not a great idea to watch every single you know, COVID update or have, oh my gosh, I had this one client who I was talking with her about how anxious she was the other day. And she said that she had her phone set up to ding every time a new person in her community got diagnosed. Oh my gosh. And it used to be hooked up to the weather. Now it's been changed because this is the thing that's being reported in her community and I said to her, uh, the, the, before she even got off that uh, telehealth call with me, I asked her, would you please consider turning that off? Because that is so repeatedly triggering. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She agreed. All right. <laughs> so, so what- you know, being careful of what you're exposing yourself to right now and being extra compassionate with yourself makes a lot of sense for all folks, but especially folks who have PTSD. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really good advice. So is there anything else that you can, I don't know, this isn't the right way to frame this, but like those of us who do know we struggle with trauma, like we're, we're going to work on not exposing ourselves to quite so much news about the things that are making us anxious. Is there anything else that we can do like proactively to help with the with knowing that most likely we're going to have some kind of as you said emotional flashback at some point. 
Mm-hmm. I think doing what you can to stay as connected as you can, which seems ironic during a time where we're being encouraged to isolate. But even if that means, <clears throat> like we were talking about video chatting, chatting with people and family, maybe you haven't been um, reaching back out to your support people that maybe were your initial supports when you first experienced your past trauma. Hmm. Uh, and that's because those are going to be people who understand how you respond to trauma also. Oh, that's a really good point. Right. And they're going to, and they're going to validate those people will be very likely to validate why you're reacting the way you are. Um, this is not a time to self-criticize. This is a time to, have the highest level of self-compassion that you possibly can. And hopefully maybe walk away from this, what will probably perpetuate as a chronic trauma for a while, but eventually will, will not be happening anymore. Walk away from this very, very highly astutely responsive to your trauma responses when they come up and really understanding that it's kind of like, it's kind of like an autoimmune issue if you think about it. You know, we're being told people with autoimmune issues need to be extra sensitive and careful not to expose themselves to the virus. And that's because autoimmune issues are always there. They're always going to be dormant in the body. They might not be presenting in the body, but they need a trigger to present themselves and to be aggravated. And the same thing goes for being recovered and having PTSD is that you could be walking through life highly functioning, but there is a dormant um, instability from what you might've gone through that you just need to be extra aware of, sensitive of, and careful about. That's a really good way to put it. Mm -hmm. That's a really good way to put it. So do you have any kind of just overarching advice about the anxiety that we could be feeling whether we have a trauma response or not. Do you have just, if you could tell us one thing about how to deal with our anxiety, what would it be? Well, I guess if I go back to almost culminating everything that was said, but simplifying it. You know, I need it simple, Dr. Amelia. (laughs) (laughs) So like I was mentioning, it's okay to not want to accomplish everything you've ever wanted to do in life during this time. It's okay to take a break, take a breather, sit back, watch what's happening, be observant, be mindful. But on the flip side, not ignore basic needs, not ignore your diet, your health, your movement, your ability to get outdoors, your ability to connect with people. These are really things that are necessary for mental health in general. So while the initial shock of the isolation and the virus definitely threw some people off of their schedules, what will hopefully come soon is a resiliency to the stress because we're going to have to start functioning within it if we want to come out the other side as strong as we're hoping to mentally and emotionally and physically. I love that. So one of the reasons, Dr. Kelly, why I love you so much, apart from you being a badass therapist, (laughs) because you're also just a really good human and your counseling and uh, wellness practice is doing something really 
cool for essential hospital staff. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So we have opened up a number of sessions every week during this crisis um, for most of the therapists on staff. There are nine of us on staff um, where we're offering pro bono, no questions asked, no need to uh, call insurance or bill anything uh, sessions where you call our main line, 919-249-5423, or you can call any of the other therapists at uh, Kelly Counseling and Wellness in Cary, North Carolina. All of their information are on their bios, and we're offering free therapy to those in the front lines right now because it's so important, and we are really, really fortunate to continue working. Um, this is all via telehealth, so we're respecting the social distancing, but also connecting and supporting as much as we can. So we really hope people reach out and use that resource because we're absolutely happy to help. Well, thank you so much for doing that. That's, that's really awesome. Absolutely. And thank you again for being on the show. Actually, Dr. Kelly and I, we have a little project going on outside the show Mm -hmm. (laughs) where she and I have written a book together. Yes, we have. (laughs) I think it took about 18 months. (laughs) (laughs) It's taken a while, but that's because it's really damn good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So get ready because coming soon, uh, Dr. Kelly and I will be hopefully on all of your bookshelves. Definitely. I believe it. It's going (laughs) to happen. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Take good care of yourself. You too. Have a good one. On the line now, I have Dr. Stephanie Moulton-Sarkis. Hey, Dr. Sarkis, how are you? Hello, great. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Oh, good. How's your quarantine going? It's going really well. Um, there's a lot of dancing that's happening in my Oh, really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, tell me about the dancing. Well, my my dog, he is a, <laughs> he is now just accepted that he's an audience member of the dancing. Um, <laughs> so at least I can put on performances, right? <laughs> so part of his dog entertainment. Exactly. Nice. You gotta nice. entertain. You gotta entertain your dog some way. <laughs> How about you? Any dancing going on for you? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, my brother and I are doing the Just Dance video thing, the Switch thing. See, I sound so much like a gamer, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> the Nintendo Switch thing where you do dancing and it, it scores you on like stars and stuff, like how accurate your dancing is. So we've been doing that. So actually we have been dancing. We do that every day. That's so, really fun. Yeah, we got a little routine down so we can tell what day from what. I just got the New York Times briefing this morning. You know, they email you the briefing and it said Friday morning briefing. And I'm like, why are they sending me the Friday morning briefing? I'm like, oh, it's Friday. Oh. <laughs> we'll, we'll get through this one way or another. We have the New York Times to tell us what day it is. Right, right. <laughs> So it's so interesting that you bring up the New York Times because when I heard this question, I was like, oh, this is for my girl, Dr. Sarkis. <laughs> so here is your audience question. I don't know what info to believe from politicians. How can I tell if they're gaslighting, just plain lying, or being honest? And I think that's a great question. 
So I think right now we're in a time period where we are seeing live someone contradicting their own statements. So without getting too political, but this is going to get political anyway, uh, when you have someone that's standing up in front of everyone and giving them information, it always helps to have your screen open and Google at the same time and fact check. And hopefully we'll get to a point where what I've advocated for is that instead of airing like press briefings live, just put them on delay, have a fact checker, which a Ooh. lot of organizations, press organizations have, and then run it on a delay split screen with fact checking at the same time. Oh, that's and, a great idea. Yeah, because otherwise they're airing propaganda. Mm-hmm. Not intentionally, but it's still airing propaganda. Uh, so that would really take out a lot of the information that is not accurate that or parts where, let's say, like there's a issue with confronting a reporter because a reporter asked a question. Like, for instance, like one, one press conference, I wrote about this in my, my, um, my, my blog on Forbes, um, that, oh, excuse me. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote about this on my blog on Forbes. You might. Well, have- hey, you know, I got to promote. <laughs> I got to promote. So, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a senior contributor of Forbes. So, yes, um, yes. So I wrote, I've written several articles on there about how to handle the press briefings and how I'll just say Trump uh, has used gaslighting. Uh, and part of what he does is if he's asked a question by a reporter that he doesn't like, or he can't answer, he immediately attacks the reporter. So there was one instance where a reporter started asking about the shortage of ventilators and he, and he just immediately went into kind of a tirade of, you know, where are you from? You know, what, what news organization, they rail against a news organization. And he never answered the question. So you see stuff like that. And that's, that's a, a gaslighting tactic. You have distract. And, and you see that in abusive relationships as well. You know, you have someone that you're saying to them, don't treat me like this. And they'll say, well, what way? What way am I treating you? What are you talking about? And then changing, you know, trying to pivot the conversation. So a lot of the behavior you see, you also see from people that are abusive in relationships. And I think it's also opening up a conversation to people realizing the relationship they've been in isn't healthy. Because they're starting to see the same kind of patterns. They, they realize that those patterns have existed at home as well. So, um, so I have to say, too, that the, one of the positive things that come out of it is that more people are realizing that they're in situations that aren't healthy and they're taking steps to get out of those situations. So they're seeing kind of their personal lives reflected in what's going on in the political landscape. Right. So they're reading about you know, these press conferences and people writing about how unhealthy they are. And then they're connecting it to, wait a second, you know, my partner has the same kind of behavior that when I ask them a question that they don't want to answer, they completely try to flip the script on me. And I think that that's drawn more attention for people to realize that this is not healthy behavior. So in in that way, I think it's really awoken people to the issue of domestic violence too, in a way, because we're realizing that, that this is just not acceptable behavior across the board. Hmm. Okay. So the first thing that we're looking for in whether we should believe mm-hmm. um, what politicians are saying is if they are, I mean, challenged is the right word here. If they are challenged in some way, they don't respond to the challenge with material about what's being challenged. They come back with either def- a deflection or a personal attack of the right. person who is challenging them. 
Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And you also see a lot of uh, you know, changing up the question, uh, turning the question into something that promotes something that they want. So the question will be unrelated and they'll say, well, let me tell you about this thing that I've got started and you know, it'll be a promotion of their own thing. So they, um, they use it for, they use it kind of for uh, promoting their own agenda. <laughs> like I told you that I'm a contributor at Forbes, <laughs> but that's different. <laughs> but I guess what I mean by that is that if they're trying to promote something, like for instance, that Trump has gotten really into promoting uh, this hydro- hydroxychloroquine, I think that's where it is. Uh, and it seems like whenever he's asked a question, somehow in some of his pressers that they he goes back to reverse back to talking about this drug. Uh, and so you'll see that they use questions to promote their own agenda instead of answering the question. So any so, kind of pivot like that is something else to look for. And like, right. like a total off topic pivot might also indicate that the person is not being truthful and is trying to get you to believe something that might, well, it's probably not true. Right, or just distracting you, right. And then another thing I wrote about, too, is that gaslighters, narcissists have these invisible armies. So they'll say, well, everyone thinks you're crazy, or, you know, no one is going to support you, or, you know, this person said this about you, and it's usually not true. And the reason why they're doing that is they're trying to tell you, hey, look at all these numbers of people I have behind me, and, you know, I have all the support, but they never name who these people are. So you'll see in one case, Trump says, well, you know, this, I know that they're, these supplies are going out the back door of hospitals, like basically implying that, you know, hospital workers are stealing supplies, which is, which is a really horrible thing to, to accuse first responders and medical people doing uh, when they have a shortage of masks and, and gloves. So, so he's saying that, Oh, well, I talked to somebody and he said like in the business, in the field, and he tells me that, you know, he's giving out 100,000 of these a day. And, you know, now he used to give out 30,000. Now he's giving out 100,000. So he's talking about this unnamed source that he says is big in business. And this is something also that I see gaslight narcissists doing is that they will name some kind of invisible source or people and they'll say, well, this person said this about you or this is where I'm getting my information from. But when you ask them what, who exactly the source is, they can't come up with a name or they'll tell you that this person is so important that I don't want to say anything. But they also give out these narcissist gaslighters give out these random numbers and you'll notice that if you ask them those numbers again, they usually can't repeat them because they pull these numbers off the top of their head. Oh, and see, I fall for the numbers because mm-hmm. I'm always like, oh, well, obviously if there's numbers, you know, right. <laughs> I don't take the second to think like, wait, they might just have made up those numbers. <laughs> right. I think, I think that's a natural tendency we have is that we trust numbers because they're numbers, right? That they don't have anything, you know, numbers don't have any kind of emotion or pull as to which way they go. But the person saying them does. So, you know, when you when someone says, well, the, the number of, of this is this, you go, well, tell me, do you have a source for that? So, I mean, this is kind of prevalent on Twitter. You have people, you know, there are bots on Twitter that will you know, throw out numbers. And if you just ask them for their source, a lot of times they can't name their source. And this is the, the thing that we really need to look for is that look for where this information came from. And if it's coming from this invisible source, now I'll, I will say that, journalists do have anonymous sources and for safety reasons, they can't disclose that when they give information. That's different. Mm -hmm. This is where you're deliberately trying to manipulate people by throwing out these invisible people 
that, you know, and they're usually, you know, important, quote unquote, important people. And that reinforces the narcissist gaslighters idea that he's important. Well, I talked to somebody in the field, you know, someone, you know, that, that's very important or whatever it is. And, and that ties into and people are more likely to believe it because, oh, well, he said it's an important person and he's, you know, he was embedded business. So therefore he knows these important people. So again, you know, we really need to do some fact checking. And if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Oh, so that the truth. Yeah. So that's another <laughs> thing we need to look for too, is that if it sounds like, oh, hey, we're going to get rid of this by the end of April. If you look at the research, this is going to go on for a while. We're flattening the curve. So that means that the cases are going to spread out. But we're, but when you flatten the curve, you're not going to, the reason why we're doing that is that you don't want to have everyone sick at once because the hospital staff are already overwhelmed. So what we're trying to do is we're actually stretching the the virus out longer, but we're making it so that if you do get sick, that you can, there'll be enough beds for you and there'll be a ventilator for you. So in case, so that's why we're flattening the curve. So it doesn't mean that we're going to get through it quicker. It means actually it's going to stretch out longer, but that's exactly what we wanted to do. Gotcha. So, so, so when, when we're hearing information from whether it's a, a politician or someone on Twitter, mm-hmm. A good way to protect ourselves is if we can ask the person, hey, where did you get that information? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but if the person, like, you know, obviously, like, I can't be like, excuse me, President Trump, where did you get that number? <laughs> well, you know, reporters do that, and he talks over them. He knows that, too. He, he just kind of steamrolls them. He'll talk right over them. And I've noticed that over time, and I think they've been trying this for a while, but they've they're getting more and more, um, I would say, more assertive with trying to continue to talk to him because they know that he's going to try to drown them out. So uh, I have to say that that's, uh, that's what we have to do too, is that if you feel like somebody is not telling you the right thing, one of the things they'll do is they'll try to talk over you. You've seen that in many different interviews where people representing this administration, one of their tactics is to talk over. Uh, Kellyanne Conway is a master of this. She'll keep talking over someone and not answer the question. And then when she's challenged on it, she'll just keep talking over them. And eventually people, just because we're conditioned to, if someone's talking, we, we are quiet. But I think more and more people are realizing that they need to keep asking the question and not let someone like this talk over them. Um, now, again, you're in a, in a briefing room, so you have people that, you know, that you obviously can't talk loud enough over the president because he's got a <laughs> microphone. But I've noticed that people are becoming more and more assertive with um, not letting the question go, like not letting him kind of wriggle away from the question, which I think is, again, another thing we need to do is to, you know, if it's someone that's a leader, uh, they need to answer questions and that's not happening here. And again, you need, we need to hold that person responsible for that. Uh, and, part of the issue is too is that you don't have anybody in his own party kind of standing up to him so that's another that's another issue that we have to look at too is that you, we need somebody to that is affiliated with his party to stand up and say hey this is not okay um, because you know some have and they get immediately ridiculed mm-hmm. um, and also we need to look at our news source too is that look at the news source. Do they have a, a, a leaning one way or the other because extremism in any form is is not healthy. So uh, look at the news you're listening to. Do they have a a bent one way or the other? 
Uh, a friend of mine actually compiled a list of all the news sources and whether um, he's got a political uh, Facebook page. And he has compiled a list of sources that are left or right leaning. And he says, these sources cannot be used when you're posting something in the group. You cannot use these sources because they either lean one way or the other. And they may exaggerate or give non-factual information. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. So I can send you a link to it. So I I think it's really helpful. And he's had, uh, he's had people ask him for copies of it, you know, just to use for their own groups and their own, you know, just their own research. So um, I'll send you a copy of that. But I think that's really helpful is to look at the news sources you're listening to. Do they have a vested interest in pushing an agenda one way or the other? Yeah. So one thing that I'm hearing you say is unfortunately, like, we sort of have to figure this out on our own. The, there is personal responsibility here where we need to dig in and we need to figure out the truth. I'm, I'm putting that in quotes, like mm-hmm. for ourselves. If there's a number that seems off, it's up to us in order to research that number. If we hear something that might contradict what, Pete, what a politician has said mm-hmm. before, it's kind of up to us. The onus is on us to figure out as my mom says, what's what? Right. And, and I think that there's, we do have fine journalists that are doing that too, fine journalists and reporters. But I think also that we need to, you know, we can also wait for them to do the fact checking because some are doing really brilliant fact checking. But at the same time, we don't want to share something on social media if we don't know what the actual basis is for that information. So that's the part that rests with us is that don't share something unless you know it's verifiable. Oh, good point. And that, I wrote about that in chapter six of my uh, gaslighting book because I talk about gaslighting in society. And that's one of the things that we need to do is practice our due diligence. Don't share something on social media unless you know that that is factual. That's a and really by, good point. And by factual, you know, the like AP, Reuters, you know, um, the CNN and others, those are known as you know, Time, Newsweek. Those are known as uh, as publications and and organizations that do fact checking and I didn't name all of them that's just some of them but uh, you need to look at the sources to make sure that they have a verifiable source and that gets tricky because you want to make sure the source isn't biased either so good point but again don't share anything online unless you verify that it's true because you know as we've seen things go around social media in about two seconds so uh, and I think the lure of it, too, is if something's sensationalized, people are more likely to share it because it gets more likes, it gets more hits. Uh, so there's that piece of it, too. So, uh, so yeah, we need to practice just uh, smart sharing online and also be aware of who bots are. So a bot will usually have on social media, will usually have uh, a background or a profile photo that looks uh, like very patriotic in nature. Um, you'll they'll have a name that has letters at the end of it or numbers at the end of it so it'll say like you know john a46256 on it Uh, they tend to not have many followers they may have just joined social media so you'll see like on twitter that they just joined last month Uh, they tend to not do their own posts they tend to replay or retweet other people's stuff and it's usually leaning one way or the other and again i'm not picking any particular side because there are bots from that represent both sides because the purpose of the bots is to really divide the U S. Okay. So for for people who don't know what a bot is, can you Mm -hmm. you 
you tell us what a bot is. Sure, sure. A bot is a fake account that uh, and there there's actually data showing that Russia uh, and continues to, and also during the 2016 election, planted bots on Facebook and Twitter. And their purpose was to basically undermine and divide America. So one of the things they did is they they would set up accounts like on Facebook and it would start being like cute pictures of puppies and stuff. And oh my God, I would it, definitely fall for that. And, and that's, yeah, and then it turned because they know what people like. So, uh, and then that would turn into a political thing. And one of the things that they did, and again, I write about this in my book about how this was kind of rampant in Facebook because it's like whack-a-mole trying to, you know, figure out who's doing this. Um, and that's the other thing is they, that social media companies need to take much more responsibility for knocking out these accounts. But anyway, so uh, what the, these bot accounts did is that they took two groups that really are opposed in ideological nature and pitted them against each other. So they set up a rally where they knew that each of the groups was going to be there at the same time. Oh, so they basically tried to start a fight. And this, that's what these bots will do. And the bots will just sow discord. Um, and the reason for that is that, you know, like as Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided by itself cannot stand that if we are fighting amongst each other, then it's much easier to manipulate us. Oh. So, and again, that continues. And it's very hard to continue to just knock these accounts out because they, they are so prevalent. So that's the other thing is look at the accounts you're following. If it's got a number, if somebody says something to you and you're like, hey, that's not cool that you said that. And then you see that, oh, it's an account with a number behind it. Or uh, you find that they don't have any followers. You, know, you can report them as a, a spam or bot account. So you can go into on Twitter, you can go into uh, report this account and you can click. It'll say that this is a fake account. So, yeah. and again, you know, that I think since 2016, I think social media companies are becoming more and more aware of how people can be manipulated through these fake accounts. And I think they have stepped up these efforts, but I think there still needs to be a lot more done to make sure that, you know, that, that social media doesn't you know, host these accounts. Uh, but again, that's up to us now too, is that make sure the account you're, you're talking to or that you're interacting with uh, is a real account. And again, if you don't think it's real, it's probably not. So no. just go with that. So, and you'll see that these accounts will, will really try to rile you up and pitch you against people uh, or, or their answers also don't make sense. So they'll have an incendiary comment that has nothing to do with what you posted. Oh. And again, the purpose is to just sow discord and to get people fighting. They, they want America divided because it's easier to, um, you know, basically take over and run things. So again, this has been proven in research. So this is not something we've come up with. I know it sounds kind of futuristic and stuff, but, but there's actual documentation that the you know, Russia did infiltrate in the 2016 election by creating these fake accounts. Yeah. Okay. So while we are, you know, trying to sort out what's true and what's not true, because obviously right now is an important time for us to mm -hmm. know what information is good information. We should be looking for the signs of gaslighting in our politicians, which would be when they're challenged, they're going to pivot to something totally nonsensical that it doesn't, it doesn't go with what the question that's being asked. They might challenge the person personally that's trying to get information from them. Right. And then we also have to keep an eye out on just our own social media, which God knows, I mean, my screen time 
in quarantine has gone through the roof. <laughs> right. So we also need to be looking for in our social media, these bots that are kind of echoing these things that we might be hearing from politicians that aren't true. Right. Again, any random numbers that are thrown out, like, like we were talking about before the, the show about Dr. Fauci, that there's something about the way he presents stuff that he's, that's someone that probably is not gaslighting because <laughs> that's what it looks like when you're not doing it is that he provides factual information and, and has challenged Trump and, and has said, you know, that's, you know, that's not how I see it. And he'll give the facts. Um, I think that's why a lot of people are drawn towards Andrew Cuomo right now is that he is very no nonsense, says this is what we need, this is what we're short of. Uh, and I think that's an example of now I can't verify that neither one of them are, are, are gaslighting because yeah. know, in the end, who, who knows? But, <laughs> uh, but that's an example of when you have a leader that is is coming up with stuff on the fly, repeating certain talking points versus someone that has done their research and has come out like Fauci was really well regarded even before the pandemic. So, uh, you know, and, and he's working in the administration that is, is fighting him on a lot of fronts and he's still showing up when he's invited because now he's not invited as much anymore uh, because, you know, he, he dared to contradict the president. But when he is on, uh, we were talking about how, you know, and with Cuomo is that it's, you feel kind of like you're going to be okay. Yeah. And when you listen to a gaslighter narcissist, it immediately sows discord. It makes you feel like this is going to go on forever. Things aren't going to get better. Uh, even if the person is saying, hey, you know, we're going to be great. The fact is, is that they're not dealing with what's real. Mm-hmm. That there's people that are really suffering right now. We have a lot of unemployment. We have a lot of people that have lost loved ones. And by saying that, hey, this is going to be done by April, we know that that's not true. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons why, and maybe this is a Kendall Ann own psychological problem. <laughs> um, that's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to both Governor Cuomo and Fauci mm-hmm. is because when they don't know the answer to a question, they say, I don't know. Right. And that's another thing too. Okay. And and if they if they have new information, they say, well, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, the information I had yesterday has been updated. Like, they even apologize when it's not something that's their fault. Uh, but when you have gaslighters, narcissists, they will never apologize. You'll notice that Trump has never apologized. This famous line of, I, I don't take responsibility for this at all. That's a classic gaslighting narcissist line. I don't take responsibility for this. They don't take responsibility for things. You'll never see Trump apologize for things. Um, if if it is an apology, it's not really one. It's like, well, I'm sorry that you got upset by that. And it's and I think that that's kind of what's led to why reporters are forced to kind of get him in gotcha situations because mm-hmm. he's not someone who's like, yeah, you know what? That's what I did say yesterday, but things have changed now. And, and that's not and it's not even a gotcha because he's he's blatantly disregarding what he said even that same hour. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so. It, so it's, it's holding somebody accountable. So if it, so, one thing we should also be looking for is if someone, instead of saying, yeah, I said that, and that was based on the information then, and now it's changed. Mm-hmm. If instead of doing that, they're saying, I never said that, then that's something that we need to 
understand is a is a gaslighting technique. Right. Or let's say uh, they didn't say that. So you you've had cases where people have been have been told, you know, you said this and they actually didn't. The way they handle is they say, no, I'm sorry, that's not correct. What I said was this. So what you see Trump do is that when they say, well, you just said this, he'll say, no, I didn't. And just shuts it down. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, if you think that you've been told that you didn't say something or said something that you didn't, you usually come up with some factual evidence that proves that, yes, you did say this thing. But you'll see that Trump doesn't do that. He just doubles down on, I never said that. And what, you know, what, where are you from? Where, where are you reporting from? And your, your terrible news outlet. And, and the distraction, the problem with the distraction, for many people, that distraction works. And they'll move on to the next thing and go, oh, yeah, well, that's that's that news agency. But these are very reputable news agencies and very reputable uh, reporters, journalists. Yeah. So uh, we need to keep that in mind. These people have worked very hard. A lot of fine people have worked very hard to make sure that we have the correct news. Now, I'm coming from a background where my undergrad degree is in telecom production. And so part of what I did was was new stuff. So um, oh, here we go again. So, well, hey, you know, I think part of the reason why I have to mention that is because when I've written stuff about gaslighting and Trump, I've received several emails, voicemails, tweets that question my credibility um, to know this. And, and I think that that's I think it's good that you question somebody's credibility. So I, I like when people say, well, what's your background that you're being able to say this? And usually it's in my bio on different things. But, uh, but I'll tell them, you know, I have an undergrad degree from University of Florida in telecommunication. And then I also have you know, counseling degrees and 20 years of experience. And so I, I think it's good that we question. I think that's good. I think the, the thing we need to watch for is that when we need to do that in a way that, you know, you don't add in threats to people, too, at the same time. <laughs> so... <laughs> so but yeah, but I, I feel like that's important to let people know what your credentials are. If you are a helping professional or, or a medical professional, throw your credentials out there. I think sometimes that we're told that that's, um, you know, that we're showing off, but we need to do that, especially now, because, you know, a lot of people's credibility is being questioned. Again, in a way, that's good to question it. Uh, at the same time, we need to make sure that it's done you know, in a respectful way and not through threatening people. Um, so, you know, yeah, that's why, that's why I mentioned that is because, you know, I, I know kind of, you know, on some level how this stuff works. Now I don't purport that I'm still on TV news, uh, cause I'm not involved in that. So, but, um, but I will say that, you know, there's, there are people that have worked years and years to perfect the, the art of reporting and being a journalist. And, and these are people that are trying to get factual information out. Now, does that mean a hundred percent of them are on the up and up? You know, probably, you know, that's not the case for any profession, right? But most are, are fine individuals that spend, you know, and they, they've risked their lives in many cases to give us factual information. So for a president to question what news source they're coming from is a real slap in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that, that might be done purposefully because, uh, you know, that's, that's your home base, your, where you report from. And if that's being questioned, it's, it kind of makes your head spin a little bit. And, and so there's a there's a shock factor that's that's in there too. That he tries to shock people and keep them off kilter. Yeah. And I think now eventually, like so now his tactics are kind of we're we're seeing them more and more. And so the more he tries to practice these, the more we're seeing them for what they are. And you'll see that you know I think after the one guy asked about the or the reporter asked about the ventilators and he said where are you from you know oh AP blah 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 blah. blah. He kind of rage quit 
And I think we're going to see that more and more, the more that, that the journalists hold him to, you know, these statements that he said, the more you'll see him try to start. And I wrote about this too, in an article that you'll see him start uh, unraveling more and more. Okay. Because again, people are noticing what these behaviors are. So you'll see probably, and my guess is, you'll see more erratic behavior as time goes on. Um, and then also, you know, when you have people dying in a pandemic and you're talking about how you're number one on Facebook, I mean, that's classic narcissism. Mm-hmm. You know, you have people who've lost family members and you're talking about, hey, I have good ratings. And you know, it's, I tell people, you know, if, if you feel like you're not getting anything out of these you know, conferences or, or any other speech or whatever, and you don't feel like it's helping you or it's not helping you become safer during the pandemic, just don't listen to it. That's, that's great advice. Because it's very, it's very uh, alluring to listen to because it's, it's, it's kind of all over the place. And it's, it's one of those things that you just go, is this real? Yeah. Uh, and I think that part of what's really driving up people's stress level is the amount of news they're watching. And so I would say that take a look at what you're watching. If it's not helping you feel safer, if it's not giving like meaning that it's not giving you information that will help you stay healthier, then, then just let it go. Uh, because eventually you'll, you'll learn that stuff anyway. But again, information that tells you how you can protect yourself during this, how you can protect your family, what health habits you should have, what stress reducing habits you should have. That's really helpful information. But if you're hearing day to day, we know that the epidemic is going to get worse. And I think it is somewhat leveling out in New York, but, uh, but I'm in Florida and we're, we're going to, we're bracing for a pretty heavy hit from this. So we know that it's coming. So you know that part already. So I would say, you know, really look at what you're watching. Is what you're watching on TV and on the line, is that really helping you? Or is it driving up your anxiety level? Because our anxiety level is already pretty high. Um, I was talking to, um, uh, I don't know if you've interviewed um, Dr. Ari Tuckman. He's a psychologist. We were talking about um, on my podcast uh, how to deal with the stress from it. And we're, we were talking about how you're not just working from home. You're working from home during a crisis. Yeah. And we need to take a look at the fact that, you know, I, there are these memes out that say, oh, you need to learn a new language and a new oh, skill and stuff. Bullshit. Right. And that, well, I said, I said on, on Facebook and on Twitter, that's bullshit because <laughs> we're just, you know, we're trying to be teachers at the same time as being referees with the kids being at home and, you know, all this other stuff. And we're just trying to keep our heads above water. So if you don't have time to, you know, learn a new skill, that's like a lot of people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, stay away from stuff that tells you that you must be doing something a certain way. Yeah. So, uh, but getting health information is important. You know, again, if it's, if it tells you how to protect yourself, and I think that's part of what Cuomo does, if I can remember, is that he talks about what you can do to protect yourself. Trump, on the other hand, you'll watch that when people ask him about masks and everything, he deflects. Mm-hmm. And he says, I don't need a test. I'm fine. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to wear clothes. And then they're at a podium, touching the podium. And oh my God, it makes the podium, <laughs> And they still shake hands and stuff. Yeah. And so part of what, what it is too, is that, you know, r- regardless of whatever party the person is with, we tend to look to the president as this is a person whose behavior we're supposed to emulate. And here's someone that's telling us that, hey, this is no biggie and touching, <laughs> touching the podium. And, you know, and so I think that that translates into sometimes people thinking this isn't a big deal. 
Um, and you know, that's been downplayed. And you know, I, what was his comment about something about you know he wants to make sure the numbers stay low? Um, is that the numbers like meaning like we're not going to get an accurate read on how many people have this or what? You know, there's kind of these vague statements that are made, and when they're asked to be clarified, he can't clarify them. Yeah. So we need to look for that too. So again, if you if if you've noticed that whatever someone's saying sounds kind of like your narcissistic relative during the holidays, that's probably a sign that's not healthy. <laughs> so if it reminds you of you know you know Aunt Margaret that tells you that you know you know, she thinks that this is true and it's something that's just really off the wall. You know, you're kind of like, hey, let me, uh, pass those potatoes and let me not get into talking with her about stuff. <laughs> you know, so that's something we need to look at. If it sounds like it's it's off, it probably is. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, is that I think people, um, you know, it's hard to, when people are, are kind of devoted to this mis- misinformation, it can be hard to change your minds about it. So the important thing is, is that that you aren't, getting into it and you're not kind of propagating it or sending it out online. So that's one thing to keep in mind is that if you don't agree with something, at least, you know, it make sure that what you're sending out is factual and that is backed up with, you know, with a, a credible news source. Yeah. All right, Dr. Sarkis. Well, as always, you teach me so much and it's always a joy to talk to you. Um, you actually have your own podcast called Talking Brains. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And uh, thank you for coming on. And I will continue to get in Twitter beefs with people that mess with you. <laughs> because I don't and thank you. <laughs> when people try to mansplain shit to you that you are the expert in I, I will never understand it and well it's interesting to see what people say too like I kind of I've started posting when people send me kind of nasty emails and and stuff I post them online um and I'll, I'll sometimes I'll blur out their names and I'm not because if you're posting it to me on Twitter everybody can see it anyway yeah uh, but you know my my feeling is that we need to bring this out into the light and part of why that type of intimidation is harmful is that people tend to be quiet about it. Uh, and so what I've been doing is if you send me something nasty, I put it online for everybody to see. Uh, and, and I think, well, I think that's, that's actually led to a decrease in people sending me stuff like that. Uh, because I'm like, Hey, if you're going to say something to me on social media, let's just put it out in the open for everybody to see. So yeah. shine, shine light on the darkness, basically. Yeah. So that's another thing, too, is that if you see someone that's being treated unfairly, re- report that person. And thank you for also, you know, coming to my defense on things, too, <laughs> um, because it's uh, it's an issue that, you know, again, we need to start speaking out more and more when we see this stuff. So um, and again, I'll just plug my book, too. So it's gaslighting and there's a whole chapter on gaslighting in society and, and a whole thing on bots and how to identify a bot and how to make sure that you don't spread misinformation unknowingly. All right. I'll, I'll link that up, too. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on again. Always. And you can always come back whenever you want to chat because I really love talking to you. Oh, thanks. I enjoyed talking with you, too. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. 
Thanks again to Dr. Amelia Kelly and Dr. Stephanie Moulton-Sarkis for being on the podcast today. Um, I have the links to the resources that they were describing uh, in the show notes, so make sure that you check that out. Also, make sure that you're taking extra care of yourself through this very um, anxious time and just know that you're not in it alone and make sure that you reach out for support if you need it. If you are in an unsafe or unhealthy relationship and need help, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. That number is 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-SAFE.
You too.